Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is Lawrence Dunning. This guy is freaking awesome. I don't care what you're into. There's no way you won't listen to this episode and just be excited. I always say one of the things I love about getting on this podcast is talking to people about something they're excited about talking about. And if somebody's passionate about what they're doing, I'm all in for listening for whatever it is. And man, this guy just checks every box. I mean, the entrepreneur story for the ups and downs for making millions Losing millions, being a pro fighter, going after his dreams, traveling the world, going to Antarctica, being a dad, being a businessman, being a mentor, the stuff he says about partners, all the things that we talk about during this episode. I mean, I, I it was crazy. So we, me and him connected because obviously we have everything in common and he was just so easy to talk to and he's so smart. And he knows so much about so many different things and articulates it in a way that it's interesting, it's informative. The guy's got a great podcast. He's an amazing guest on podcasts. And uh, we literally went for like two hours and probably didn't even touch a quarter of the things that we were actually supposed to talk about. And all of it, I thought, was outstanding. So hopefully you guys enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed the discussion live. And I can't thank Lawrence enough for coming on. That's definitely going to be a guy that I'm connected with for a very long time, on and off the mats, in and out of Chicago, in and out of business. I feel like I made a good business connection and a friend out of that. So I am excited to continue that relationship. And I hope you guys are able to find him as well. In the show notes, you can see all the ways to connect with him. If you're interested in investing in real estate, especially in the Chicago market, and are interested in some stuff on the city, that is the man. I am doing suburb stuff. So city of Chicago people, that should definitely be your guy. Follow him on social media, follow his podcast, and uh, just you won't regret it. The guy's interesting. He's an open book and he's an amazing story and just a great personality. So again, checks all the boxes. Thank you for coming on. I think you guys are going to love this podcast and I hope to have him on again and do some business with him in the near future. Speaking of business, nicknicknick.com slash links. Go there and look under affiliates for all the ways to connect with our sponsors, including Nationwide Business Capital Group. If you are looking for money for your real estate deals, Click on that link, right to Marianne, say, I heard you on the A-Game podcast that I want some money. She will find a way, regardless of your situation with credit, money, experience, whatever it is, to get you some funding for your real estate deals. Or if you already have those relationships, definitely reach out to her because she's got some of the most competitive rates and terms to get you more money and cheaper money. Once you've done that, reach out to me through any of the channels on that link and tell me you want to do some real estate together. The easiest way to get me is to text me at 516 516- Five four zero five seven three three, and say, I want to do some real estate. I want to buy properties from you. I want to sell properties to you, or I want to find a way to just have a discussion how we can partner and do something together. That is the most direct way to get me. Please subscribe to this podcast. Please leave reviews. Please follow me on social media and interact with us on the post we're putting out there. We put a lot of time and work into it, and we hope you're getting some value out of it. So thank you so much. Last but certainly not least, nicknick.com slash bigger pockets. If you want a free checklist on how to bring more buyers value, whether you're a wholesaler, broker, or realtor, that is a great resource for you. Absolutely free as well. 
anything I can do for you guys, definitely take advantage of our Facebook group. If you post on there with any questions, I will answer them. If I can't answer them, I will get a guest on to directly answer any of the questions you guys have. Trying to be more active on that, but let me know how to serve you. Let me know how to help you. Thank you for listening to the A-Game podcast. Thank you, Lawrence Dunning, for coming on. You guys will not be disappointed. Have an outstanding day. All right, my guest today on the A-Game podcast, I am very excited to have. He is a UK native who is now out of Chicago, a former derivatives trainer and has an MBA in finance. He is a full-time real estate investor, a full-time broker, podcast host of Enter the Lionheart, a former pro MMA fighter, Chicago Golden Gloves boxing champion, a jiu-jitsu black belt, dog owner, marathon runner, husband, father. What more could you want in a podcast guest on the A-Game podcast? Welcome, everybody. Lawrence Dunning. My brother, Nick, thank you so much for that instruction. I'm blushing. I'm blushing over here. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, you check like every box. Like, it's amazing that I haven't known you for like years already. It's kind of crazy, but it's amazing, man. Thank you for coming on. I'm really excited to talk to you. Oh, thanks for having me, Nick. And we were talking before we started recording, but we really are kindred spirits with both, you know, doing the Golden Gloves back in the day with our jujitsu background, with real estate, with podcasting. It's really cool. Yeah, man. And I love, you know, I, I, the way everything's changed as far as the model of like a fighter is nuts. And I've heard you on other podcasts when, they talk to you for like 45 minutes and you just go into all this amazing information and you're so intelligent and articulate and they go, well, what do you do for fun? And you're like golden gloves box. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like on top of all this other stuff. So I love guys like you. Cause I think that old stereotype of the Neanderthal professional fighter is completely gone. Like more and more guys are seeing that like jujitsu black belts and, and fighters can be a very mental thing. So I love that you can definitely change that, uh, that old, persona of that man so i appreciate you for tacking that on but for people who don't know a little bit about your background man give a quick like thirty thousand foot view of who you are and where you came from um well talking about the fighting and, and the, the, the physical aspect i was always i was very ungifted as a kid I, I think i had to work really hard for everything but i remember in college maybe i was 18 years old and i lived in this dorm room for my, for my university and there was a quote from socrates and i think it said something like um no man should grow old without seeing the, the beauty and strength of what his body is capable or something like that. And it was that ancient Greek ideal of don't, don't have a healthy body and be an idiot and don't be really smart without the healthy body. It's a healthy body and a healthy mind together. So I always had that philosophy. Um, so I, I, I got an um, MBA in finance and I remember I only, I got a, in, in England, it's a bit different. At university, you have to, when you're 17, so you haven't even finished high school, you have to say like what subject you're going to major in. So I'm like, well, I like history. I'm going to do history, a history degree. And then I was coming at the end of my degree. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do with a history degree? I want to work in finance. So I stayed on. I did this MBA in finance. And then I, I was planning just to go to Australia. I wanted to travel for a few years, be a bum, you know, be a, be a <laughs> enjoy being penniless and a, a bum in my 20s. And I got this opportunity at this trading company in London. And um, my uncle, I think, was talking to somebody. He was like, oh, I was telling them about my nephew just graduated. Just talk to them. And I was like, okay. So I go in the office and I see these young kids, like 26, 27, making crazy, crazy money. And I'm like, well, I was like, well, listen, I'll put the Australia plans on hold and I'll work for maybe, you know, a year, make some money and then I'll go to Australia, but I'll have money. It'll be more fun. So that's how I got into trading. I I never really wanted to, it, it just kind of fell into it. And then when I started at the company, I realized that after about a few months, I was like, well, I'm not just going to work a year and then leave because it's going to take me a year to even start trading. So then it's one of those things where you become a bit trapped in the in the wealth trap, like chasing money. So so the company was great because they had offices all over all over. So I worked for one year in Amsterdam in Holland in Holland, and then they they said, hey, can you come to Chicago? I was like, oh, I'd love to come to Chicago. 
So I came to Chicago for six months in the summer. And then they said, hey, we need you in Wall Street on, in New York. So I went to New York in the winter. And then they were like, hey, we want you to stay in New York. And I was like, kind of want to go back to Chicago. <laughs> so then I came back to Chicago and I ended up leaving and starting my own trading company. And I did very well. But the whole time I was trading, it was one of those things where I was in the trading floor. And everyone was like, like in, I don't know if you see the, the, how familiar you are with it, but for listeners that aren't, it's like that movie Trading Places where everyone's shouting and screaming. And it was, it was so much fun, um, but it was so insane. It was the, the, the phrase is it's blue collar work, white collar pay. Cause you can make a lot of money, but you know, you're fizzly getting screamed and spat on and you're pushing and shoving, get, get, get very rough. So I did that and I loved it. But the whole time I was doing, like at the time I was focused on um, boxing and I was doing some jujitsu. And then I, I realized I kept my standard of living the same. And I'd love to talk to you about this, Nick, because so many people, as they make money, their standard of living goes up and their expenses go up and they don't really go anywhere. But the, the first time, because we're going to talk about this, like I made a lot of money and I got to actually keep it because my living didn't change. Like my first condo I bought, I had for 15 years in Chicago. I just bought a one bedroom condo. I was like, this is great. I don't need all this material crap. And then I, I remember I was turning 30 and I was thinking, I, I didn't realize, but suddenly I look at my trading account. I'm like, man, I'm, 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 I'm a millionaire. This is wild. I'm a millionaire and I've got this very small window to do something physical. And I love the idea of being a, being an MMA fighter. And back then this is, um, well, this is about 12 years ago. So MMA was a bit less popular. Um, but, I, and so I, I, I knew, I didn't have any illusions that I'm going to go to the UFC and make all this money. But I was like, at least for me, fighting is terrifying. I'm a very, that I, we're talking about the intelligence, you know, the fighters. I feel like, what do you think, Nick? There's two types of fighters. There's the guys like Sean Strickland would, would be an example where he's like, if I'm not fighting the UFC, I'm fighting on Saturday night in the street. And then there's guys like me and St. Pierre, where St. Pierre had that famous quote, I wish the arena lights would go out and they would cancel the fight because I don't want to fight. So I guess that, <laughs> but for me, it was always, I have so much anxiety. I know that I'm going to grow from this. And I do, I love the training. I love the goal setting. Um, so I spent about five years um, fighting and I, I had, I, tr I probably trained for over 20 fights, but you probably know how the local level goes. Like I had last minute cancellations and this and that, um, uh, people pulling out of fights when I'm cutting weight, you know, the day before it. So I had, I ended up having 10 fights and then I got, I blew through all my money because I kept living. Like I'm making all this money, went through the 2009 stock market crash was very foolish. And then I suddenly thought, well, I'm, when I'm done with this, I had the idea, I'm going to go back on the trading floor and keep making all this money. But suddenly the, the business model was taken over by high frequency trading. So I, I was like, okay, this is my, a lot of my friends were saying, Lawrence, like you're 35, like how many more fights do you want to have? You, you don't have anything to prove anymore. And I was like, and oh, they kind of got a point. So I ended up breaking up with my long-term girlfriend, had my last fight. Um, I started trading again and I was actually making money. I was, I was up for the year and I was like, you know, I was trading grain, agricultural um, options. And I was like, I can the way options work is they always kind of revert to an average. So things have got very out of line. So I put on this big position and when it would revert back, I would make all this money and it kept going away from me. And I was like, listen, I want to have a good year. I want to be wealthy. Like I used to be in my twenties. So I put this huge position on and then it kept going away, away, away. And there's a famous phrase in trading it says markets can stay irrational longer than traders can stay solvent. And that was my problem is I knew eventually it would come back, but I couldn't keep, losing money on paper because eventually I'll be penniless or I'll be on the street. So I, I held it for a while. And then one, one morning I'm like, okay, if it goes against me this morning, I'm going to get out of everything. 
So it went against me first thing in the morning. I got out of everything. And Nick, about 10 minutes later, it went completely back the other way. And I would have made a million bucks. So I was so, I was so, um, what's the word? Like just disgusted and burnt out from trading. After that, I was like, I need a complete career change. And that's when, when I went to real estate. <laughs> nice, man. Jeez, that's an incredible story. So, so many different things to touch on there. You know, one of them being, I, I keep having this same conversation with people that are successful about just beatings that they've taken and stuff that's gone wrong. And I, I constantly think whenever somebody goes, hey, could I be successful in this? Could I be successful in that? I say, 100% you can, as long as you don't quit. You know, whether it's three months, three years, or 10 years, if you stay the course, you'll make it. But I feel like the, you know, the volatility there and the ups and downs of that entrepreneur, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, but they don't realize like that there's, there are those ups and downs. I don't know anybody who hasn't taken them, but all the guys that find a way to move past it and, and navigate around it instead of just tapping out, they wind up doing okay in the end and, you know, walking through those murky waters. And I'm always interested because it seems like it's not a coincidence that guys that are athletes, especially jujitsu, MMA and boxing guys, they have a little bit more of an understanding on how to stay calm and rational when things get tough. And you know, that, that to me is the key to everything. Did you feel you had that prior so or do you feel like that background is something that kind of helped you get through that time? That's so true. I think, I think if I look back on anything I'm proud of, like I didn't just sign up in 2004 and win the Golden Gloves. I signed up in 2004 and I lost my second match. Then I signed up in 2005 and I, I met, I was, I was there to win. And I, I think I got robbed in the semifinals of a decision. Then 2006, I came back and I stopped three out of four guys and I won. But if I had just gone in 2004, my first golden gloves and won, you know, maybe I hadn't had an, you know, if I had great natural talent, I could have done that. But the fact that that wasn't easy for me, just like when I started jujitsu, I had a striking background. So for me, it took such a long time. Some guys come in the gym and they get jujitsu very maybe they play rugby or they used to wrestle a bit and they just pick up grappling so quickly. For me, I hated grappling. I wanted to quit jujitsu 20 times. <laughs> so it's like it, I feel like everything I'm proud of was hard to get. And the, the nicest thing about that is you become anti-fragile. And I've got a, a one a one-year-old, just he's, he's just turned 50 months. And I was I always joke about him I, when I talk about him. I said, if there's one thing I'm gonna teach him, Nick, it's that. The world feels so uncertain right now. Two weeks ago, no one, half the people probably didn't even know where Ukraine is. And today people are worried about World War Three. It's like the world seems to change so quickly that I don't, I don't know what I can teach him because I don't, I'm very aware that I don't know how the next 20 years are going to be. But if I'm, if I'm going to teach him one thing, it's resilience and the fact that he's going to be anti-fragile, he's going to be able to adapt to any circumstances. I think you and I both get that from jiu-jitsu and from combat sports in general. I think any sports, but particularly combat sports, just because if you're a soccer player, that was my sport in England growing up. If you're a soccer player and you have a tough game and you lose, yeah, you, you, have, you can get that resilience to come back. But there's nothing so personal as someone having a deep choke and you're waiting because you're trying to fight to get out of it. And then as you're passing out, you tap. It's just so primal and it's so intense. You know, and I think that's what we get. Once, once you've been in that arena, I always joke, I said, the, the, I had a nice little win streak at the end of my fighting career. I won the last three fights, but the, the last loss I had was my worst loss. And I fought a very explosive guy. And I think that I could have beaten him maybe seven out of 10 times. But the one way he had to beat me was some kind of explosion at the beginning of the match. And what happened was he caught me with a beautiful wraparound head kick, 10, 12 seconds in, flash knockout, ref stopped it. And I was like, oh, what happened? And I remember thinking at that time, I went home and I was like, man, 
What, Nick, what is the worst thing that, that I can think of, apart from, you know, getting named in a horrible accident? The worst thing that can happen is I'm pair, in a pair of Lycra shorts in front of several thousand people, including my friends, my family, no, sorry, my, my friends, my girlfriends, my teammate, all the people I care about in America. And I get stopped in a few seconds. And it's just like that. That's the worst thing that can happen. And I woke up the next day and I'm like, well, life goes on. It's not too bad. I was hanging out with my dog. I'm like, I'm going to go for a walk with my dogs. And so I think it gives us that resilience that a lot of people don't have. Yeah. And I think, like you said, it's it's the humility of like at the end of the day, I don't know, guys are like, I'm scared I'm going to get hurt. It's always I'm scared I'm going to either not perform to my full potential or I'm going to get embarrassed. You know, even guys <laughs> like Matt Sarah, he's always like, I was never scared of getting my ass kicked. I was scared of getting tired and not being able to perform. And, you know, I think when you hold yourself to that higher standard and you kind of push that ego aside, it's, it's amazing, which again, back to your, your story on that. I think it takes, obviously, you have to have some ego to be a professional fighter and to do what you did on the stock floor and to go big in real estate and become a millionaire on some level. But you also have to be a student and have some sort of ego for knowing, like on any day I could be humbled. I have to be aware of what the risks and the rewards are and like make logical decisions. Because to your point, when you got knocked out and you went, what happened? That's what I tell everybody is like, hey, you think you know all the things that you need to know. But what's the first thing people say when they get knocked out? It's, it's what they don't see that winds up hurting them. And when they ever go walked out and the ref goes, you're okay, they go, what happened? They didn't see it coming, you know? So like knowing all like the potential risks ahead of time is things people don't want to take the time to do. But I feel like when you do that, now you can backtrack and go, okay, what is the worst thing that can happen? And if that happens, am I still going to be okay? And like, think, like you said, once you've been through something like that, it allows you to go, okay, I can do this again. But, but Nick, my, what, go, what you said is so interesting because you said, you've got to have the humility, but you also have to have the ego. And that's so true because I remember when I started boxing, I would, I'm a big reader and I was trying to get that mindset where I'm going to have a winner's mindset. So I was reading these books and they said, well, the best way to get a winner's mindset is to be a winner. And I was like, well, I'm just starting out. So it's not like I can say, well, I've won six fights already. So I was like, well, how do I get that? And, and then I remember I was like, okay, well, you got to look at small wins. So I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to smash the guys in the gym, my teammates, and then I'll bring that confidence into the fight. And it's one of those things where you do, you can't just be so humble where like, if you and I were so humble, we think, oh, no one wants to listen to us. We're not going to start a podcast because what have we got to say? And, and, you know, oh, we're, we're not naturally talented. We can't beat Gordon Ryan. So why, why are we even going to do jujitsu? And like, so you can have, you've got to be very careful because you definitely, you, you want to, you want to have the, the ego and the pride and the, the big dreams. But at the same time, you have to balance that with humility. Otherwise, um, you, you know, you're not going to work on your weaknesses. You're going to be too arrogant. You know, your hubris is going to be your downfall. So it's a, it's a fascinating thing that I never really thought about before you mentioned it, but we have, we have that balance between those two um, extremes. Yeah. Well, I mean, Brian Callen was saying, he was like the guys that come over to like, when he's hanging out with like Rogan or, or like the, who's the guy, Joe Schilling and these guys, and somebody walks into that room, like super confident, like way too confident. You're like, Okay, probably he's never gotten punched in the face, never gotten his ass kicked. Like he's not confident because he has no idea what could actually happen to him, you know? So it's yeah. <laughs> important for character, man, you know? And I think and there's I, another thing, Nick, with um, there's there's that unspoken, I think a lot of men have, um, I'm sure women too, but I'm just speaking for men because I, I, I can never, can't reimagine being inside a woman's mind. But a lot of men, for whatever, maybe they have frustrations from their childhood or their 20s or their 30s and they're our age, they're in their 40s. They don't really have a healthy outlet and that's gonna come. That's gonna come out in some kind of sarcasm or backstabbing or just talking shit about people. Whereas what we have is we get out so much. Like I, I just came from jujitsu earlier, 
and I was I was a little sick on midweek. I was like some stomach thing. So my energy was very low and I was fighting for my life against these, these monsters. And it just, you, you get rid of so much energy that I think it, it makes you so much of a better person. So like you and I, we have this camaraderie, even though we don't know each other very well, we have a camaraderie because we, we've been through that same journey. And I think that's something that's so beautiful about martial arts and fighting. And that's one thing I want my son to do anything, you know, whatever he wants, but I do want him to spend significant amounts of time in, in a martial art just to get that feeling, um, that brotherhood. I think it's so, it's so beautiful. I agree, man. The, the camaraderie and the relationships that I've made over the years through MMA, boxing, and jiu-jitsu are by far the most solid relationships personally and professionally I have ever had. Yes, I agree. It's, it's pretty amazing, man. You know, so you also touched on something as like you lost a lot of money after you made a lot of money. And I hadn't thought about it until you said it, but I remember like I was talking yeah. to Gary Tonin actually on the podcast and he said how he got all the way up to the top of the mountain for jiu-jitsu and then he did MMA sparring and was like, whoa. I had no idea how low on this totem pole I was. And if I want to be a champion, because again, like you don't get to be the best in the world by not having some ego and thinking you could be the best at something. But he had also understood how hard he worked to be the best at jujitsu. And I went, am I willing to put all the work in to climb that mountain again to be the best in MMA? Or do I just stick with what I'm already knowing? I'm already easy. And my ego hasn't been tested in forever because guys aren't really tapping me out of the gym anymore. So for you, how did that play into like taking some big losses like that and understanding how hard you worked to make a million dollars to get back on the horse and start from the ground up and go, I'm going to do that again, could be a very discouraging mental battle. 100%. That's actually such a good question, Nick, because I think it's easier the, the second time around because you have the confidence, but it's so much harder because you know that there's um there was a book I read in college. I think the author's name is Poe Bronson. I forget the name of the book, but he said something like, it always takes twice as much to make half as much money, twice as much effort to make half as much money as, as you thought initially. And I think there's some truth to that. Like when I, when I was um, at the interview at my, of this trading company in, in London, I was 22 years old and I saw these 25, 26 year old kids making crazy money. I was like, oh, I'll just do this for a few years. I'll make all this money. And then I worked for one year, I made the company over a million dollars and I got a bonus of whatever it was, a hundred thousand. And a lot of young people will be like, well, that's amazing. You made a hundred thousand, but I'm like, I made them way over a million dollars and I'm getting like probably 5% of what I made them. That's not so great. So it's one of those things where um, when I, when I lost all the money, I, I had confidence that I could figure out what to do, but I felt so lost for a while because I didn't know which direction it was. And when I went into real estate, I had a very different approach to a lot of people. So you probably get this too, Nick, where, cause we're in real estate, we have to put ourselves out there. And um, I think one of the, one of the, the things that I hate is um, the, like the Tim Ferriss, he loves to use the word um, life hacks and, and kind of try. I like that the, the idea of being more efficient, but there's a reason that Tim Ferriss has been talking about jujitsu for about 15 years, but he's still a white belt because he, there's no life hack for getting a black belt. You know what I mean? That, like there's certain things where there's not a life hack. And I think building a business, of course, you can learn from lessons of, you know, maybe your own mistakes, or you can read inspirational biographies of these, these incredible business magnates and things like that. You can take lessons, but at some point you have to roll your sleeves up and, and do some shit, right? So well, I remember the first year that I worked in real estate, I was dating this girl at the time who was in, she worked in real estate and she had all this crappy business. She was lazy as hell. She had all this crappy business she wanted to deal with. And she wasn't 
particularly great, but she she didn't didn't really need much cash, and she was used to guys supporting her. And blah, you know, blah blah blah. That's why she's an ex girlfriend, not my wife. But anyway, <laughs> she was she, she was um she'd give me all this. She's she's like, I don't want all this crap. Do you want it? And I said, you know, I was thinking in my head. I was like, you know, I don't want to think about money. I want to think about learning as much as I can and being the best real estate person in Chicago. And then I know the money will come. So the first year, it, I love talking about this because. In, when I was trading, I could easily make 50000 in a day when I worked for myself. When I worked for myself, I got whatever I made was my money. It wasn't like the company was taking it. I could make 50000 a day. My first year in real estate, I made less than 50000 And then I still spent some money on marketing and things like that. So I, I made in a year of work what I could make in a day of trading. Now, of course, on some level, that was very humbling. But I knew it was with a, the purpose was knowledge. That first year was all about knowledge. And then every year after that has been exponentially better. And But the thing is, too many people, they go after the money before the value. And I, I love that expression. I think one of the Gracies, one of the early Gracies when they started teaching in America, said something like, um, focus on being the best instructor and the money will come. And like all those original Gracies, they're all millionaires because they, they had jujitsu and no one had jujitsu in North America. And I think it's the same with whatever career you're doing or whatever you're trying to do in life. If you focus on the end goal of money, you're going you're gonna to shortchange yourself and also whatever service or knowledge you're providing. Whereas you and I, I think I would imagine we, we do slightly different things in real estate, but both the things we do in real estate, the value we have for people we work with is our, our contacts, our client list, and our expertise and our knowledge. And, and that takes some time to get. Whereas so many people might look at us and be like, hey, I want to do what Nick does. I want to have a podcast and make all this money and everything. But it took you years. Like, the relationships you've got through MMA, you've had a decade plus, you know, so, so you can't, I don't think you can, you can definitely be more efficient, but there's some things there's no real shortcut for, but you just have to have that long-term view and put your time in. I love that, man. I could not agree more that it's, you know, it's like you said, putting the time in the consistency, the tenacity, how, how many guys over the years have said to you either a, I want to get into real estate or B I've had 400 street fights. I'd love to get in the UFC. And you will come in for like a beginner jiu-jitsu class. And the attrition rate when people realize like, oh, no, this isn't like easy. I don't get to get a black belt in a day. And I don't get to make a, a million dollars in a, in a year. Like you have to work towards that. And people, they want the quick pill. They want the diet pill. And, and that's where I, like I've said over the years, when people come up to me and they ask me like, how do I make money in real estate? And I go, well, you know, I could teach it, but these are all, and they go, you know what? Let me just give you money because it sounds like I don't want that. You don't really want to learn how to do real estate. You just want to learn how to make money. So yes. here's how I can make you money, you know? So just an interesting conversation, but how do you handle those? Oh, well, real quick. Um, I just want to say one thing I've been thinking about recently. Um, I've become, and I think you were talking to Jason recently about, about crypto and Bitcoin. He's pretty yeah. big into Bitcoin. Um, I was enjoying that. The I'm, I was always, um, I had a, with, with my background in finance, I had a lot of people ask me about Bitcoin over the years. And I'd always, I'd always, I never took the time to understand it. I always assumed I was this well-read, smart guy, open-minded. But I realized that when it came to crypto, I was incredibly close-minded because I didn't know anything about it. And I just didn't even ever take the time to learn. And I was always like, ah, it's a bubble. It's gone to zero. It's all nonsense. Until it was just, um, just under a year ago, just over a year ago, um, sorry, just under a year, it was last, it was April 19th. It was my birthday last year. I had a friend come into town and we spent, <laughs> we, we spent, we spent like three hours. We talked till two in the morning about, um, crypto. He's from, he's from the West coast. He came in and we had this, this big discussion and suddenly all these things in my, in my head kind of clicked. And I was like, 
I went from being 100% skeptic to being um, very, very passionate advocate. And what's fascinating, even just now, um, you know, I'm sure this will probably be released uh, a little bit delayed, but right now what we're seeing in Ukraine is fascinating because we're seeing, we're seeing the use, a lot of crypto people have been talking about why it's important. And it's important because a country like Ukraine can say, hey, if you want to donate, send money to this address and people from all over the world can send it. And what we saw in Canada a few weeks ago when they were trying to stop donations to these truckers is politicians are trying to decide what you and I can do with our money. And I'm very against that. I want a much more open society. So um, the reason I'm going down this rabbit hole is just if I had this thought, it's like, man, I have a kind of a libertarian philosophy um, when it comes to politics and I have a finance background. So I should have been, I should have been a crypto guy since 2012, you know, the early days. And I think, but if I had done that, and I become a millionaire through crypto, all the lessons that from rebuilding myself in real estate, I would have missed those lessons. I've grown so much as a person. I've met so many wonderful people. So it's just so interesting looking back at your life and thinking the mistakes in the big scheme of things, they're not really mistakes because I love my wife and son and any change that didn't lead down the path that I went down, I'm sure I wouldn't have met them and I'd have a very different life now. So it's so fascinating. I think that's such a nice reminder for anyone going through struggle is that right now it might feel like you're just, you're, you're battling all these obstacles every day and it can get you down. But in the big arc of life, you might look back in three years and this will be such, such a, a beneficial thing for you because you're going to grow and it's going to take you down these other avenues that will make your life much better. Because I mean, don't you think Nick, you and I, given our personalities, if someone gave us a hundred million and you know, you said you're the best grappler in the world, and you've got you don't have to work for anything. That for me initially, like that's great, but that sounds like a nightmare. You know, you're the, you're gonna get bored very quickly. We need. I think that we're, we're the happiest when we're three quarters of the way to the goal. <laughs> so we're not there yet, but we're making <laughs> progress, and we we have something to strive for. Don't you think? Yeah. No, that's very well said. I've never thought about that, but that's a hundred percent accurate. That's hysterical. Because yeah. because you and I, like just the, in the nature of real estate and jiu-jitsu, we have problems every day. Every time we go to the mat, like, oh, my knee hurts, my shoulder's sore. Every time we're dealing with difficult uh, partners and clients and, you know, investors and sellers, and we're, we're always dealing with these little problems. But it's just a nice reminder that without those problems, man, we'd, we'd get bored. We need some problems. And, and that feeling of overcoming them is it's, it's a wonderful feeling. Yeah, I feel like it, it, it's those calluses that make you who you are. I would not change that for the world, man. All those struggles, all the things like you said that I thought were the worst thing in my life that ever could have happened. Mm. You look back later on and I wouldn't change any of it. Nick, can I ask you, when did you start your podcast? How long ago was it? Oh, maybe two, three years. There was kind of a lull in between, but I think the first one was like 2019, around there. What, okay, so and what was your original goal? Like what, what you wanted to get out of it? Why did you want to start it? What was the inspiration? You know, I, it was more of, I wasn't hundred percent sure what I wanted to use it for, but I knew it was one of those things that every day I would wake up for like two years and go, man, if I would have started it this time, I would have had this by now. And I would have, and then you start to that, that old cliche of like the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the best times today at one day, I just had enough. And I was like, I'm sick of waking up every day and going, I should have done this a year ago. Like I'm going to start today. And the, the catalyst that made me actually do it was. My buddy, Billy Grodd today, who's a, a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu black belt out in Torrance, and he also was, was in the band Biohazard. Okay. He was doing a podcast with the guy, Jamie Josta from Hatebreed, and they were talking about how the drummer from Pantera had recently died, and he was like, man, thank God I have this podcast because I talk to him like three or four times a year, and if it wasn't for that, like, we're in town when he's out of town, they have kids, they're on tour, and you start missing stuff. So he was like, having this podcast has allowed me 
to keep the relationships with all the guys that I was in bands with touring for decades that I wouldn't have had if it wasn't for that. He's like, so if nobody listens to my podcast, it almost doesn't matter because I got this out of it. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of what made me go, okay, you know what? That takes some of the pressure off. If I can find a way to get on with like, you know, connect with you for an hour, catch up with Raging Ally, Quinto or, or something like that. It's just a way to connect with the people in my life that I think are interesting. Because I've always said like, there's nothing interesting about me except for the fact that I know a lot of really cool people who do awesome stuff. So that really pushed me to do it. And then as I did it, as I'm sure you found, it starts to become like therapy for you. You know what I mean? You start to go, oh, wow, I'm not the only one going through this. And this person's doing awesome stuff. And it just winds up being something that makes my day better, no matter how much I'm nervous to talk to somebody or you think you don't have the time for it that day. I never finish a podcast and go, I wish I didn't do that. And so I just kept doing it. 100%. Well, Nick, I want to push back. You have a lot to say. So, so don't, don't say that. But no, it's so true. It's like in, in this day and age, um, and especially because you and I work in a business where our phones are always ringing with real estate and there's a lot of noise that to have chances where you, you have a connection. And I'd love to do this in person one of these days with you too, because I'm building a little home studio, but to have a connection like you and I having where we're, we're looking at each other and we're, we're talking and we're, we're not looking at our phones. We're not being distracted. It's almost like a lost art. And I, and like you said, I, I get a lot out of talking to different guests and people that you would never in your normal day-to-day kind of be around, have these deep conversations with. So I think you and I are growing a lot with it, but I was just curious. That's always that's fascinating. Yeah, man. What about you? What made you start doing it? Um, it was, um, do you know Nick Gregoratis? From, I sounds familiar. He's a, so he's an old school jiu-jitsu guy. He, he was Hodger Grace's first black belt and he's from South Africa originally. And he set up the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood, but he was like an OG. Like he was on Joe Rogan's podcast back in the day, like years and years and years ago. And I always enjoyed his podcast and we were talking and I kind of mentioned it. I was like, you know, I've got a really, I have a pretty wide circle, but I have a wide, a much, much wider kind of circle of circles. So for instance, you know, you and I have a connection, but you have all these East Coast MMA fighters who I look up to. And I have so many different links like that where I was like, man, I've got a hundred people I'd love to talk to. Um, so I asked him about it and he said, he's such a great guy. He was like, not only should you do it, but I'm going to help you. He's like, I'm going to give you my editing guy. I'm going to tell you how to do it. I give you. And so he, he was the big inspiration. But the big thing was, I find it very hard to put myself out there. And that's why I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it to grow. And also, because I think, I think that I can, you know, talking about that ego humility thing, um, I've definitely got the humility where I find it. I, I love to be in the shadows and the thought of being a famous guy, like with, with people watching every move would give me anxiety. But at the same time, I don't want to be in the shadows and I do have things to say. So it's one of those vehicles for growth. And I get so much out of podcasting too, that like a little podcast, it's almost like, um, it's like an hour audiobook that, that you can have different people like you and I, this is very focused on business and athletics and, and, and MMA, but there'll be someone else that you can talk to. Maybe he dealt with, you know, near suicide and drug addiction and, and getting out of absolute rock bottom. And it, it just talking to him, I'm going to get just appreciation for being alive, like the smallest thing. So I think we get, we, we see the world through a lens and different guests from different eras of life and different, different walks of life, different eras of the world. It gives us different lenses and it makes us just a more complete human. So I think it's, it's really great. If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesale, and fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, 
whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com. Go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure. Or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. That's very well said. I agree with you completely, man. So, you know, p- pivoting to what you just said, your podcast specifically and the way you've guested on other people's podcasts, you're one of those guys that I'll listen to four or five different hours and all of them have a completely different focus. You're saying completely different things. One's about economics. One's about, you know, going to Antarctica. The other's about mindset. The other's about business. The other's thing specifically about like building new construction in Chicago. So, I mean, you are like a really just such a plethora of amazing, interesting topics and the way you're able to articulate it and be excited about all of it, I think makes you, you're just, you're going to be a great guest and have a huge podcast because I think people are going to sense not only your passion for what you're doing, but the way you're so approachable and normal and down to earth and just a regular guy, I think people are going to be very related to you as well. So man, the sky's the limit for what you're doing, man. I I can't get enough of listening to the stuff you're putting out there. And I, I would, I wouldn't say that if I didn't mean it. Nick, thank you so much. And that's another thing too, though. Um, I'm definitely getting better at it. But I remember when I first started, when I was on a few podcasts about real estate, in my head, if I got, if I had, you know, a couple of hours to write down a summary of just, let's use the example of why real estate is a good investment. I could, I could write the most amazing, eloquent things. But when when I was on a podcast and someone put me on the spot, (laughs) it, it, it wouldn't come out as eloquently I had this beautiful ideas in my head, but I couldn't, I couldn't um, verbally articulate as well as I should. And that's something over time too, that I'm getting better at. And if you listen to some of these professional speakers like Jordan Peterson and everything, they're so smooth and, and practiced at doing that, but he was also a professor. So he was doing that for years and years and years. So I've got that very much that mindset of um, right now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, just, I think I just did my like number 27 or something. I've got that mindset where I want to get to episode hundred, just put my time in kind of what we're saying with jujitsu. Uh, of course I can probably be a bit more efficient, but it's one of those things where as, as you and I develop with podcasting, with business, I think anyone that's successful will always look back at themselves a year or two earlier and kind of cringe a little bit because they're growing. And I think if you don't cringe, that's probably not a good sign. <laughs> so we, we, so I, I think that's awesome that you and I have that same mindset. Yeah, I agree with that a thousand percent. And, 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 talk, and talking about the different areas of the topics, I think that um, one thing I hate is when you you say, okay, I want to do a podcast on just on real estate. And then, but you've got a lot of interest too, not just real estate. So then it, it um, I, I never want to limit what I'm interested in, what I want to learn, what I'm passionate about. So I... For instance, I've done quite a few on, on crypto and I, I find the metaverse and NFTs, I'm really struggling to get my head around it, but I've got a couple of friends who are all into that world and I want to keep doing more because I want to learn about that myself. So I think the areas of curiosity, the areas of interest will will take, it's, it's kind of beautiful because you start something and you have no idea where it's going to end up. It's going to be this meandering thing. Um, but I also love MMA. You know, I want to, I'm going to be bugging you soon to talk to people like Raging Al, who's such a startup I've looked up to for years. And so it, it, it's, um, it's really cool to not, to have a, um, you got to have like a brief, kind of a, a rough summary of what you're trying to get out of it. Otherwise you have no structure. But at the same time, I think that it's this 
um, fascinating thing. So Nick, I'm going to turn the camera a little bit so you can see. But uh, I have I have walls and walls and walls of books, and I mean, I've always been a huge reader. And it's one of those things where when I was young, I was like, I want to learn and and just figure out things and just figure out life. And then it's one of those things, kind of like when, when you're a jiu-jitsu blue belt, you say, I want to get my black belt, and then I've mastered jiu-jitsu. <laughs> and then, of course, you get there, and I remember the day I got my black belt, I was like, man, I really want to work on my guard. I want to work on my passing. I want to work on my takedowns. I want to work on everything. Like You've got that imposter syndrome a little bit. And I think that's what you get with, with, with learning about stuff, is the more you learn, the more my curiosity is, is you know amplified. The more I travel, the more I want to see. So and it it can get frustrating because I think there's part of us that wishes we could do jiu-jitsu for three years and have mastered jiu-jitsu. But if you think about it, there's there's certain, say, maybe a, a style of karate where you can master it in a few years. It's, it's got a set number of kata and things like that. And then pe people are not going to be coming back 20 years later. So I think we've got to have that curiosity because a lot of the time we don't know. If you'd asked me 12 months ago, would you want to go down this crypto rabbit hole? I'd say, no, it's all bullshit. And here I am 12 months later, I've done a 180. So I think that's the biggest mistake we get. I think it's very hard in your 40s, like you and I are both in our early 40s, to not get a bit stuck in your ways. It's this constant battle to see what else is out there, to see what you're missing. You have to keep asking yourself, you know, what, what am I missing? What, what am I overlooking? And that's a beautiful thing about, again, what we're doing right now, podcasting is you'll talk to people and they'll remind you like, oh, I never thought about it like that. I, I got to rethink the way I thought about this because no matter how much we try to be open-minded over time, it's just inevitable. You do get more stuck in your ways. Yeah. I love that, man. And I think just like business and just like jujitsu, if you're not open to it, you get left behind. And I always use that example of blockbuster video and toys yeah. R us of people going, well, we're changing the way we do business. And people are going, no, no, no. Like this has been working for me. And at some point you don't have the choice anymore. You just get left behind. So even like you're saying with jujitsu, it's okay, well, this worked really well. And now if I haven't trained for the last two years, not only could business have changed, but like the entire game of like leg locks and things have like evolved and people are making new ways to make money in real estate every day and new submissions and, and buggy chokes and things every single day. And some people look at that and they think they get overwhelmed, but I look at it as like, it's, it's exciting because there's yes. all these different ways for you to, to keep learning and growing. And now I have even more options to submit somebody or to make money on a deal. And, you know, I, it's, it's a double-edged sword that you always got to learn, but that's where, again, I think you being open-minded like you are, there's going to be people that shut down and they refuse to change. And then there's other people that welcome and encourage that. And that's why it's easy to get into jujitsu, but it's not easy to get your black belt. It's easy to get into real estate. It's not easy to stay in real estate 10 years later and still be successful. That's so true. What you said is very interesting. You said this, the same situation, I said, let's use the example of jujitsu evolving, can get some students very frustrated because they're like, Jesus, there's just so much. Never, I never get this. It never stops. And then you use it as, oh, this is exciting. I'm going to keep growing. I'll never forget when I think it was Randy Couture was champion back in the day. And he said something about they were asking about nerves. And he's like, well, of course, I feel what another competitor might describe as nerves, the anxiety in my stomach, the, the butterflies. But I just see it as excitement. My body's getting excited because I'm about to get in a fight that I've trained really hard for and I'm going to win. You know, so it's the same the same scenario, but a different way of looking at it makes all the difference. And I'm a big believer in life that. Um, it's not really what you have and the circumstances you're in above a certain level. Like if you're, if you've got three kids at home and you can't afford to feed them, of course, you, you know, your, your number one priority is to make some money to buy some food. But when we get above a certain level where we are surviving and our basic needs are met, life really is about perspective, not, not what you have. Um, it's, 
And I think we live in such a consumer society that I find myself getting into it too. I've got like a, my wealthy buddy owns my real estate company and he sends me photos of this new car he wants to buy. And I get this thing in my stomach where I'm like, Ooh, I kind of, I kind of want to buy that too. <laughs> but, but I know enough about myself now where material possessions don't make me happy. I love spending money on travel because it's something that I'll remember the rest of my life. So I love spending money on experiences as opposed to possessions. Um, but I really think that reframing thing, I love what you said because it's so true in almost anything in life people think that they're going to change their circumstances and with the change, happiness will come. But happiness will come if they just change the lens they look through life and be appreciative of what they do have. Um, and it's so easy. Like, for instance, say I, I started my podcast a week ago. I've got like 10 listeners. I don't know what I'm doing. And I look at you and I think, oh, I want, I want to have Nick's, I want to have Nick's podcast. It's successful. You got all these big guests. But I'm thinking in my head, I also want to have all the things that I like. I just want this one aspect of this guy's life in my life. But it's such a silly thing to think about, just looking at these tiny aspects and being envious or jealous of other people. Um, so I really, that's something, and it's something that you don't, it's not like you can just click your fingers and get that. It's something you have to keep reminding yourself. You're going to feel these pangs of envy or jealousy or whatever it is, but you just have to reframe it and remind yourself that everyone's journey is different. You're on your journey. And as long as you have some kind of idea of where you want to go, that for me is very inspiring. And I would love, Nick, I would love to ask you this because this I've been thinking about this um, recently. If I was talking to Nick, who was 25, and you, I, I don't know, you know where you were in your life then, but I'm assuming your jiu-jitsu wasn't as good as it is now. You weren't as successful. You weren't as confident. And even if you would, even if you've surpassed all your expectations with um, relationships, money, career, sports, jiu-jitsu, all this stuff, there's something that I was, I was thinking about this. There's something a little bit sad when you are young, you have unlimited potential. You can take your life in any direction. Even if you accomplish more than you dreamed of 20 years ago or 15 years ago, there's still something a little bit nostalgic and sad that you've lost the possibilities because your life has taken a certain direction. So I would definitely, I think that's something for any young, young listener who's still trying to figure out life and, and it, it get, it kind of weighs on them a little bit. I think that's such a good reminder that when you're young, you have so many more options and, and potential for your life to meander in different directions. And even if it goes like, I, I didn't have the confidence that I have now when I was 22. So I would say that my life has exceeded. It hasn't been linear. I've had some ups and downs on the way, but it's exceeded what I hoped for when I was 22. But there's some, something still a little bit sad about the fact that the possibilities are a little less for me now. You know, I've got a family. It's not like I can pick up and go to Australia for three years. So does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense, man. It's the it's the, the Vitor Belfort conundrum. It's like, how do I have like the balls and the tenacity and like the vision when I was 20, but also yes. have the experience like I've been fighting for 20 years. And it's like, well, that's where TRT comes in. You don't get both, but it's kind of <laughs> like the same thing, right? You know, it's like, how do yeah. I have like that drive and that like, just like you're saying, change the lens of like the world is in front of me. I have all these things and have that excitement, but then like the confidence and the experience that you've had the last 10 or 15 years fighting for in business. It's like, how do you practice on both. But I agree. And it's, it's crazy because to your point, people think, Hey, when I get the black belt, that's the thing. And I had the same exact feeling of like, man, me and Aljo Sterling got our black belts literally the same day, same time. And then we take a picture and I'm like, we are not the same level, not even close, but people go, Hey, both black, like me and Chris Weidman yeah. are rolling. And somebody walks in and like, like Longo's like, what are you doing? And Chris is like, I oh, just a couple of purple belts rolling. Like People realize that that's not what that actually is. But yes. I think similar to like business and stuff, the more I talk to people, 
the more I realize that I don't know, like there's so many other things out there. So I feel like I've actually like in a sense, less confident until I mm -hmm. talk to people and I hear them repeating the same things that I say or doing the same things that I'm doing. I go, okay, like I do kind of, so I, I have to get that refresher every now and then of like, oh yeah, I do have 20 years of experience. I don't completely suck. And I, I do know what I'm talking about because you talk to people that are doing better than you every single day. Mm. But that, that's what, that's what, that's what you need though. Cause you need to have, you, you can't, you can't be the, the biggest fish in your bowl where everyone looks up to you and you're the mentor for everybody, but you also can't be the, the, the smallest fish in the ocean where you're looking up at everybody. So I think it's really important for life. I think you want to have the mixture of the people that you look up to in different aspects of your life. So in, in jujitsu, it's going to be, you know, Aljo and people like that who are just on another level. And you might never get there because he's younger than you. He's the UFC champ. He's got the best genetics, you know, but he's someone to strive for. And then you have someone in business that maybe you're trying to emulate, but then also you're trying to, with this podcast, you're, you're reaching a huge audience of people that are looking to you for tips. They're looking up to you. So you have that best of both worlds. And I think that's so back, back to that, that um, the thing between humility and ego, we, we want to have both. We want to, we want to be giving back and helping people. And that's a validation that we've actually figured some stuff out, but at the same time, we also don't want to be the, the big fish in a tiny little fishbowl. We want to be out being exposed to these incredible people to also inspire us. I think that's such a great point. Yeah, man. And I, I, for people listening, we are going to talk about money and real estate, but there's just so much good yeah. stuff here that I want to get to. So you said two things there that I could go again on topics for days on. One of them being the, like that social comparison. So you were talking about looking at other people and judging like, well, this person's here. And if I could just have this and that, and we're both talking about doing things like podcasts and using social media to have relationships. But I have also found that it could be something that inspires me or something that makes me feel like I will never get where this person is. And I feel like with social media right now, people starting out, that social comparison of constantly looking and watching other people do big things, whether they're full of shit or not, can really like weigh you down on some days. So I'm interested yeah. to see like, how do you do it? Because it's, it's a necessary part of what we're doing, but it could be something that it, it, it's a tool or it's a weapon. How are you mm -hmm. using it? That's such a great question. Um, I'm actually reading a book, something like I'm listening to an audiobook. It's something about um, getting more space in your life. And it's by an Australian guy. And I want to have him on the podcast when I'm done. But it, it's exactly that dilemma. And I it's so funny. It's so funny when you're a dad, Nick. Do you have kids? No, no. Not yet. Okay. So when, like, I'm a, I'm been a dad for 50 months. So it's not like I'm this veteran. I know everything <laughs> about parenting. But it's so interesting how a few things have changed in my life. And now when you look at um, Instagram and you see, like, you know, a lot of people we're following, I'm sure uh, we get a lot of the same feed because we're looking at a lot of professional fighters, incredible athletes and everything. And I remember having this thought like, man, this is going to be kind of overwhelming for my son when he's 12, 13, 14 years old and he wants to get in shape and he's looking at these, like, you know, the best physiques in the world, the strongest people in the world, the best fighters in the world. It's like there's 8 billion people and you have access to, to look at the elite of the elite. It can be very overwhelming. So I think social media is incredible for the sense of like, look, you and I connected on social media and we're such kindred spirits and we probably wouldn't have met if it wasn't for Instagram, you know, that kind of exposure. So I think you and I, can, it, social media can be an incredible tool that you have to take, I think, take breaks. So a lot of the time I'll post something and then I'll delete the apps on my phone, off my phone, I'll take a day break because you have to, because it's so addictive um, and, and not just social media, but technology too. You know, it's one of those things where I, use my phone a lot when I'm, I'm emailing and texting clients, but in between emailing and texting clients, I'm also texting, you know, bullshit to my friends and fucking around on the internet. And it becomes one of those things where 
I had this epiphany when my son was about three months old and I was sending a text to a client and he was on my lap and he looks at me, he looked at my phone and he looked back at me. He's, he's a few months old, doesn't, he barely knows what's going on. But that, I remember thinking, holy shit, this is the first inkling of my son realizing he has to compete for my attention. And so that's why if I, if I ever want to do something, if I want to read a book for now and I really want to get into it, I can't have my phone in my pocket or I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I can't resist that temptation. I have to leave that shit in the other room. Or if I want to go to dinner tonight, I'm going to dinner with um, one of my um, business mentors and his wife and my wife, I'm going to leave my phone in my car because I don't even want, I don't want it on my person. You know, I'll take a, so I think that's so important that the phone, it, the technology and all the things that come with a, with a, with a smartphone, it, it's got incredible um, use and utility. And there's like a lot of people running businesses from a cell phone. It's incredible what you can do. And I get so many clients from, from LinkedIn and from um, Facebook, but at the same time, you're not happy if you're staring at a phone, like the world's a big place. And so I think it's so important to take breaks. Yeah, man. It's like the, you, you got to reset. I, was, I literally just, I went to the doctor yesterday and he was talking about how he's helping people all day. He's like, I needed five days to not see people. And I was, he's like, he's like, no offense. So I was like, no, I got you, man. Because you, you have to do that. You got to restart your phone every now and then, or it just start, stops working. So I, I think that that's a necessary reset. That again, back to why I always loved jujitsu. It was one of the only things that, you know, I wasn't half paying attention to yes. everything else. You're kind of doing this. You're still texting. You're still posting. You're still doing stuff. Mm. But for that three, four five minute round, mm. there's nothing else I'm worrying about. Even if I did have things on my mind, yeah. I forget them when Raging Al's got me in a freaking <laughs> the von flu choke for the 900th time that you know what I mean it's like you're all you're thinking yeah. about is how do i get my neck out of here how do i get this out of there and i feel like when you then go back and you go oh yeah that's right i had all these things that i was kind of stuck in now i got to reset and i'm seeing them through like you said a whole new lens and it allows you to just kind of go oh why didn't i think of that before and this isn't as big a deal and i do have the solution so that reset man i think is everything well nick let me ask you because we're both early 40s can you think of something just off the top of your head because jujitsu, you've been doing a long time, so that wouldn't count. But something you found maybe the last couple of years that has made a huge difference in your in your life. So I'll give you an example. Um, I used to do when back when I was um, an amateur boxer and I was struggling to make 178. Um, I would do these um, Bikram yoga classes back when yoga wasn't cool. I do it. Me and the <laughs> teammate would do it, and we would we would do it, lose the water weight, and then I would go and weigh in for for whatever. So I would use it as a weight cut almost as a sauna. And I remember I used, I used to love it. And then for whatever reason, you know, 10 years went by, I hadn't been doing any yoga. And then one of my good buddies who just got his black belt, shout out to my, my buddy, Brad, he, um, he started doing just the core power. I don't know if you guys have that in New York, but they have a bunch in, in Illinois, just the core power. They have a hot yoga class for an hour. And so I got back into it and it's kind of what you were saying. It's one of those things where unlike jujitsu, where you have to focus because someone's trying to strangle you, um, when I, when I do jujitsu, I love it. But when I come out, my knee hurts, my shoulder hurts, my hands hurt. Like it <laughs> takes it out of you. When I, when I go for a run or I lift weights, I love it. The working out, but then after my legs are sore or my weight, my, my body's sore from weights, hot yoga is the only thing where you have a great workout. You get all the endorphins and afterwards you actually feel better. Your back feels like you're 30 instead of 50, you know, there's like, it's, it's, it's got this lasting benefit of the endorphins. Your body feels looser. I'm very tight. So it really opens me up. But also for an hour, it's a complete mental break from my phone, from work. It's like me time. So that's something just off the top of my head that, and then I would say, um, and I don't really want to go down a rabbit hole, but um, I'm a big, I, I'm a, what's known as California sober. So I don't drink alcohol. I gave up, I was never a big drinker and I gave up alcohol when I met my wife. But one thing I, I love, which is a recent thing, I was always 
when you're around jujitsu and fighting, there's a lot of people that they're, they're big advocates of weed. I think it relaxes you. It helps your joints and things. And I was always so scared because I had this buddy in college who was in a band. He just plays guitar, got high every day. He got kicked out of college after the first year, he failed his exams. So as a young man, I associated, you know, weed with being a loser. And I'll always be around these buddies that'd be getting high and they weren't losers. So I don't know why I didn't put two and two together. Um, and I was, I was terrified of it. I was like, no, 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 I don't want to, I'm going to lose all my drive and I'm going to be a loser in life. But I found that for some people, and, and like you and I, we, I would assume we're considered type A personalities. We're entrepreneurs, we're go-getters, we're, we're jiu-jitsu guys, we're, we're always striving to be better. Sometimes you need, like you were saying with your doctor, you need some kind of off switch. So for me, I found the perfect, um, a, a, a small dose of edibles in the evening. It's like the perfect reset for me. And I can say without question, it's made my life infinitely better. And it's just, it's wild how, again, talking about how things change, something that I don't think you should do when your brain's still developing in your 20s. You've got to be very careful how you put, and you've got to find out what works for your body. Some people might find a glass of wine in the evening is just what they need. My body doesn't process alcohol very well. That's why I gave it up. But that's something. So that and yoga, I would say are two things that it's so, that I just discovered the last few years. It's so unusual when you get a bit older, like you've kind of, figured out your routine right it's hard to find something new that makes your life a lot better so i just wonder if you have anything like that um i mean i guess the podcast would be one right because that's three years old like that's something that makes your life better yeah you know i, I think it, it all for me is growth on the real estate side so i'm i'm always learning different things in real estate you know like i got into whole tailing and then i kind of did deep down in that the last six months i've just been like really deep into tax liens and tax deeds and that's like a whole new thing yeah. so I do learn that's- different strategies and things like that a lot of the time that kind of pique my focus and keep me interested. And then kind of what we were talking about, I started going the last year, I had a lot of health problems that kind of came out of nowhere, I guess, when you turn 40. And I started looking back for like, well, where are these things coming from? And so I started reading a lot about like the brain and, and inflammation and, and joints and all that kind of stuff. My neck was jacked up. And I, I started getting into David Perlmutter, who um, I'm trying to get on the podcast, but he had a whole book about how the addiction to stuff like on the phones and the computers and the way kids are growing up with it. And it started making me think about all the things I do. And even like, if I shut my phone off, I'll find myself like looking, I'm like, it's off the habits that you don't even realize in your control. So I've been trying to be really aware over the last year or two of of all the things that I didn't even realize I was unintentionally doing Mm -hmm. that were out of my control and trying to like intentionally see those things and break those habits to take control back and have that discipline back. And that, that, you know, keeps me pretty busy on, on different levels of stuff, you know, and, and I didn't get to do as much jujitsu because of the pandemic. So going back to that, it's like a whole new amazing thing again, that as I started going back and training with Matt Sarah and those guys a couple of months ago, when I was back in New York, I just forgot how it made my entire life better. So I I found, I like fell in love with it again over the last like six months, you know? So do you try and take breaks from, from your phone and technology as well? Yeah. If your mental health. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so, especially with you, I'd imagine it's like me where my dad was a pilot. So he would go away. He would typically go away for five, six days on, on a trip somewhere. Then he'd be home for five, six days. When he was home, he had nothing. Obviously it's pre-cell phone, but no one was trying to contact him. It was purely his time. Now we work in a very different business where I'm sure it's like you, this, it was seven days a week. We don't really have off time. So it forces you to be very disciplined and just say like, I need this for myself. And I think something I really hate, Nick, I don't know if you've noticed this, this is a very much, it's interesting coming from Europe and seeing England and America, you know, we fight wars together. We speak the same language culturally. We're very similar. 
we're very, very similar, but there's a few big differences. And I think one of them is if you have a problem in England and you see a doctor, he's not going to give you all these different drugs and get you hooked and fucked up on all these, you know, diazepine and all these different things. Whereas in America, one of my business partners from Europe, when we first came over here, he got, he, he got, he went down such a dark hole because he just went to see a doctor because he was basically drinking too much and partying too much and, and not sleeping enough. And they gave him all these different things and he had a complete breakdown. So that was kind of like, firsthand just seeing what that can do if if you get all these pharmaceutical drugs they're worse than half the street drugs people get you know it's crazy um but the other thing is there's this pride of it i I see it on facebook sometimes where people brag about like i'm working so hard and it's like that's not really a cool thing you want to be driven and you want to have goals but who wants who if if you and i got a call and we only had a, a a six months you know left left to live we're not going to spend those six months working, you know, like what there's a lot more, no billionaire on his deathbed ever wishes he spent more time in the office and he made more money. Like that doesn't, doesn't exist. I think when, when, when the end comes, the first thing we're going to think about is the people we love and spending time with them. So I think that's something every entrepreneur, I think is, is a struggle, has a struggle with is, is balancing your, your goals and your dreams and trying to make money and be successful um, and follow your passions with the small things that don't cost anything. When I, my wife's in graduate school and she's should to be a therapist and she's also just started taking on clients because she's about to graduate. So she's so overwhelmed with that. We have a 50 month old. I'm trying to do three, four different things. We're both so busy. It's taking a step back and saying, this is our time. We're leaving the phones behind. We're going to go and get coffee, take the dogs and have a few hours for ourselves. Those little things. And I think that's such a important thing for entrepreneurs to remember is um, the finish line, when you come to the end of your life, I think you want to be remembered and you're going to be proud of all the things that aren't directly related to, I worked more. So like when I see people bragging about that, I'm always, I always cringe a little bit because I work a lot too, but I'm trying to work less. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that, man. The living a life of regret has always been something that's pushed me to take risks and push harder because I never want to look back and say, I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have done this, you know, because and like you said, I literally 35 years old, they cut you off in New York. You cannot fight in the Golden Gloves. I think they changed the rule after that, like the year I turned 35, but it was that. It was, if I don't do this this year, I can never do this. And I don't want to be 40 and be like, ah, I should have just taken the three months. Like that's going to suck way worse than get my ass kicked. That fear of regret is such a big thing. That's what I had at 30 when I'm like, I don't want to be this multimillionaire at 50 and think, man, when I had this chance at 30 to follow my dreams and be a professional fighter, something that terrified me, um, I'm going to have that regret. So I had, I had this weird thing where I'm, I'm turning 43 in, in a few weeks, but I feel like I'm, I'm 93, where it's almost like this <laughs> thing where you, you feel like you don't have long left. So you're trying to maximize it. And I think you and I both have that. It's that fear of looking back and thinking that regretful, like I had the opportunity to do this at the time and I didn't take it. And I think, I don't think that, I think that's a pretty good driver is you look, you look back at um, maybe, maybe you're, you're a grand, a grandparent with, with, grandkids at your feet and you think what's the kind of what's the kind of life that would make me happy at that stage of my life so you almost start with the end goal in mind and if the end goal for me personally is to um i when i was in my 20s i was very wealthy i had at the time the the expression fuck you money because you don't have to answer to anyone i work for myself <laughs> i love that expression because it's so true i don't want i don't want to be at risk of oh i don't want to offend this guy and lose business and i, I don't i I'm a good guy. So it's not like I offend people all, all the time, but I just want to have that freedom. And I think for a lot of people that they think money's going to make them happy. It's not really the money. 
it's the freedom from the stress of not having money or from struggling financially. So I think that's just a really good way to look at it. And then as you kind of what we talked about, I think before we started recording, but I initially made money. And as I made money, my life didn't change. So that the problem too many people have is as they make money, and they spend more as their as their income increases, their lifestyle increases, but they're not building assets, and that's the big the big issue is then you, you're you're trading water, you're not really going anywhere. So the important thing is you kind of set some kind of ceiling on your spending, and then as you're making more money, the difference is you're reinvesting it and you're growing that in investments and different things, and then you're growing your net worth, and then when you get to a certain stage, you realize that like I've got a good friend of mine who's very frugal. And he's got uh, three or four properties, um, buildings that he rents out. And he told me the other day, he's like, man, I could, I could retire. I'm 44. He's like, I don't have to work. I can support myself and everything. And I told him he's single and he wants a family. And I said, buddy, work a little bit more because kids are expensive and you never know. You might, you know, you might meet a woman who's got high taste and she wants to move to a fancy suburb. So you, you want to have a little bit more than as a single guy, you know, but, but I love that philosophy of, you know, that feeling it's so liberating where you're like, I don't have to do this because there's nothing worse than just, I guess with, with us, it will be working with people that we just, everything about their energy and we don't like them, but we do it to make money. I always joke to my wife, I say, baby, I'll be a hooker, but I want to be a high-class hooker. You know, I, I'm going to choose those people you know, who I want to spend time with. And I think there's, there's something to be said for that. You know, the, yeah, the I more, agree, so, so, so it's looking at money as freedom as opposed to buying a bunch of crap you don't need ever wanted to play the drums or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers dan lamagna dan lamagna has played in such bands as crown of thorns suicide city biohazard the real mckenzie's sworn enemy the walls of jericho he's played all over the world and he's also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585 for your free online drum lesson. That's so well said, man. And you know, you, you, you bring up an interesting point because I constantly talk to people who I call it waiting for Superman. Hmm. Something's going to change. Something's going to, it's like, well, no, it's, it's not. The only thing that's going to change is if you do something. And we were talking earlier about decision and how I've just learned over years, the thing that's cost me more successes and caused me more stress than anything has been indecision and being fearful of making a mistake. So you sit on the fence and then the opportunity passes you by any, any way and you go, I could have, would have, should have done something. But you, I've heard speak a lot lately about inflation and just the, yeah. the way you understand money. And I think more than ever, people that are scared to jump in and invest because maybe Bitcoin's volatile or maybe the market's top down on the real estate side. So I'm just going to keep waiting, keep waiting, keep waiting, keep waiting. Now more than ever, I feel like to that point of what you were saying with the way inflation is right now, if you do nothing, you're literally just tapping out and going, I give up because it, it's going to, something's going to happen whether you make the choice, choice or not. But Nick, I'd love to talk about that because the one thing that I noticed is when I, when I did, so I have an MBA in finance from one of the top schools in England. And the one thing that 
all MBA programs, it doesn't matter if you're studying in Sydney, in New York, in London, anywhere in the world, they teach the same program. And it's based on basically a, um, building a portfolio that's a mix between stocks, bonds, and cash. And the reason they never talk about real estate is because real estate is just too specific. And you know, even in Chicago, like you and I both work in real estate, and now you're doing a lot more business in, in Chicago area. But when you start talking about wholesaling, I'm the first to say I've never done any wholesaling. I don't know anything about that industry. I also am not too well-versed in suburban real estate for people's houses and things like that. My business model is very specific and focused, and it's on multi-units in Chicago. And I can tell you, if you're east of Western on this street, that's a good side. But if you're west of Western, those two blocks, that's the deal breaker. You know, I've got these. So I'm incredibly specific, and I know what I know, but I'm very aware of what I don't know. And that's in my, my industry. When it comes to a million other industries, I'm, I'm a white guy. I know very little. So I think um, knowing what you know is so important. Um, but the one, so real estate is something, it's such a powerful business model, but it's just not taught to people because it's too specific. So the one, there's two messages that I want to kind of shout from the rooftops. And the first is um, too many people, this pandemic really, it was very interesting as, as an observer, just to see how many people um, wanted to be told, okay, stay at home, avoid everyone until we tell you when it's safe to go out. They, they look to the government for, for everything. And unfortunately, if you look at the history of, of every government, the, the US government is a lot better than a lot of governments, obviously. But the government doesn't really have your best interest at heart. And if you look at the purchasing power in the US since, I mean, it's crazy. So um, Roosevelt in the 30s, basically, um, it, was, it was about $20 to one ounce of gold. And they said, listen, we're going to make gold illegal, punishable up to 10 years in jail. If you, if you hold gold, you have to trade it in and you got $20. And then immediately when everyone did that, they turned around and said, okay, now gold is $35 an ounce. So they basically stole 40% from every honest person under the risk of imprisonment. That's what got, and unfortunately, then 50 years ago, Nixon came off the gold standard because too many, there were too many people were pulling gold from the US and, and uh, you know, different countries that held um, US dollar reserves. They said, we don't want the dollars, we want the gold. So they didn't want all the gold leaving the US. So the Nixon just said, we're going to close the gold window. And that was 50 years ago. From 50 years to today, we've seen massive, massive inflation. But just in the last 20 months or 22 months since um, the pandemic, they've, they've added 40% of all dollars in existence in the last you know, less than two years. So we're seeing it now, we're seeing this inflation. And I think that's it's something that's going to be, once the genie's out of the bottle, you can't really put it back. The Fed has these dual mandates to keep unemployment low and to keep inflation low. And unfortunately, they're failing at inflation and they have a horrible track record. So I think that the big thing, I've got a good friend of mine, Rocco, he's, his favorite quote is, no one else is coming. And I've been putting that hashtag on a few of my posts. No one else is coming. You can't wait for the government to save you. We have to, it's on us to make money and spend a little bit less than we make and invest it. So the two investments that I, I really like is, is crypto and real estate. And there's advantages to each, but just in a, in a real brief nutshell, the reason that big, so crypto, I, it, I was put off with it for several reasons. One of the reasons was there's 10,000 altcoins. And I was like, you know, a lot of them, you kind of know a bullshit. And that put me, that put me off the whole industry. But the one thing with Bitcoin, why Bitcoin hasn't been pushed by any government. It's been banned in many countries. The reason it's the best performing asset the last 13 years is because Satoshi, when he developed it, he had a hard cap of 21 million. And that's the secret is these 
I didn't even realize this, Nick, but of all the dollars in existence, there's only about 9% that's physical dollars. The rest is, so before the Federal Reserve would print money, they'd hit a button and the, the, the printing press would hit. Now they're literally just adding zeros to a Fed ledger of debt. You know, it's wild. It's literally just digital zero. So when, when you say, well, Bitcoin's digital money, no, the, the dollar's actually digital money. What Bitcoin is, is it's a, it's a mathematical protocol with a very select amount. And that's the value. The value is its scarcity. So I'm, I'm a big believer in Bitcoin. There's a few other coins that I think the technology is, is, is valuable, but most of the other coins, like I wouldn't touch. I'm sure some people are going to make millions. Some people are going to lose millions. For me, it's, it's a rabbit hole too many. But real estate, the reason it's so powerful, Nick, and I'm sure you know this, but I'll kind of go over for, for your listeners, is if you buy a property for 100000 and you, you're an investor, you have to put down 25% for your loan. If it goes up 10%, You've you on your 25%, you've made four times that 10%, that 10% because you're buying with leverage. So you have this bank leverage that's huge. So it gives you it gives you many benefits that you, you most people back in the day, actually 1929 stock crash, they were buying stocks on, on margin, on leverage. Now you can't do that. So it, it gives real estate has it has the power of leverage from, from the bank. The other thing is it has a what I really like about buildings is if you're if you have a certain amount of cash flow that's after you've paid down your loan so every month without realizing it your loan might have a thousand dollars of principal you're paying down it's like me putting a thousand dollars in a savings account without even realizing so it's like an automatic debt pay down and then the the big thing if for you and i that people that have jobs that earn money is the tax write-offs it's worth it for us to have a building that makes zero money that breaks even for the tax write-offs for the depreciation so that's all we haven't even talked about buildings going appreciating. That's for me, the appreciation is like the sherry on top. It's the bonus. And in this environment we're seeing with this crazy inflation, what does it cost a builder to build a house today than March of 2021? Well, obviously materials have gone up. So the, the cost is going to go up. So, so I think it's, it's a very good time to protect yourself. And a lot of people kind of back to your I love the fact that when we're having this conversation, we keep coming back to these same points because a lot of these, they're, they're principles as opposed to knowledge, right? It's, it's like the bigger picture. What you said about looking back and saying, well, if I started my podcast two years ago, I'd already be two years in. Shit, I got to start today. It's kind of like that. That was one of the reasons I didn't want to buy Bitcoin. I was like, well, Bitcoin was at $100 a few years ago. Why would I buy it at 5000 It's like, well, now it's at 40000 Why would I buy it? But I think Bitcoin's going to be at a million you know, within a, I don't know, three years, five years, seven years, nine years, within the next decade, I'd imagine it'll probably be at a million. So you do have more upside. Same with, you can think that real estate is expensive, but if the raw material cost is inflating, I mean, isn't the prices, they have to go up, otherwise builders won't build. So I think in this environment, it's very important for us to educate ourselves. And here's the thing, there's a lot of ways to make money. If you tell me, hey, listen, I'm a young guy. I love volatility. I'm crazy. I make good money. I don't care if I buy Bitcoin at 40,000, next week it's at 25, then it's at 50. I don't care. That might be the business model for you. The reason I like real estate is because I'm in my 40s. I don't want to see crazy swings in my, in my, my properties. And it, that, that would stress me out a bit. So I like to have most of my money in real estate and then a little bit in crypto. I have very little stocks, but people have been killing it in stocks because stocks are also an inflating asset. 
I just, after I lost money trading, I just wanted to take a whole step back on, on that whole thing. It was more of an emotional thing, me dealing with my, my grieving. Um, so, but, but that's another thing. It doesn't matter what you want to invest in. A lot of people invest in precious art. And I guess precious art is one of the best performing things in the last 20 years um, as well. So you have to just find out what you're comfortable with, but you have to get money in assets. Because what, what drives me nuts, um, especially because the, the, the world and especially America is very divided between Democrats and Republicans, but both sides, they have done fine the last few years. All these um, senators and, and politicians, they've all seen incredible gains in their, in their portfolios. But the, the blue collar Americans that were forced to close down businesses that shut down their life's work. They lost everything. So one of my pet peeves that drives me nuts, and this isn't a left-right thing, this is, this is um, blue-collar workers versus the elite, the politicians. The politicians saying, hey, stay at home, you know, work from home. Not everyone can stay at home and work from home. They were all fine. Nancy Pelosi's portfolio went from 60 million to 110 million, whatever it was. You know, She did fine. But these poor people who, they, they didn't have the luxury of working from home from a, from a laptop, they were crushed. So I think one of my one of my biggest messages is, unfortunately, you have to look after yourself. You can't rely on the government to help you. And they've they've put in motion something. And listen, I don't have the answer. Two years ago when the world shut down, I don't have the right the answer. But what they did is is led to what we're seeing today. They tried to do they tried to have a short term solution with long term consequences, as opposed to saying, listen, we're going to let the stock market collapse and the people lose money. But that if they had done that two years ago, we wouldn't have the inflation we have now. So I don't know what which one's better. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not all seeing. But I think it's on us to recognize the environment we're in and say, hey, we've got to find out what we can do to protect ourselves. And another thing with real estate, because I don't know how much you do on the on the domestic side, but if you're if you're a young person who hasn't who I think I'm not sure if I think you can't get an FHA loan unless you um, haven't bought before, but you have these loans where the government is trying to incentivize people to be um, real estate owners. So if you take advantage of some of these programs, you can buy a four unit building up to, you know, 850,000 and you can only put down three and a half percent, but you can have the seller give you some credits and it's actually, you can almost buy it for free. Now you might have to show some reserves in a bank account, but maybe you can get your aunt to put some money in your account. So it looks like it's yours, close on the building, give it back to you. So there's these little tricks that you can do. And I think that's the thing for your listeners, especially the real estate ones, is you've got to, you've got to figure out, you've got to learn how you can take advantage of the system we're in, whether it's the loans you can get from the bank, whether it's the high inflation environment we're likely going to see. Um, so I think I think that's that's really really key here. Is it's that's one thing I love about podcast Nick is I always I heard incredible things about ayahuasca and I wouldn't have heard of that unless I heard someone talking about it on a podcast. And then I've done um, two ceremonies um, with my good friend Nick Gregoratis. Shout out to him for hooking that up for me. But um, it's one of those things where. The, the beauty of podcasting is spreading this knowledge. So maybe someone's listened to this and they're like, oh, I'm going to look into FHA loans. And then they figure out how to do that. And then they can buy a cash flow positive building, live in one of the units for free. And then the rent from the other three are, are going to pay for their bills. And then whatever the salary they make, hey, they can throw it in crypto or they can throw it into another investment or something. So I think sharing that knowledge, I'm very passionate about that because it's just coming from a business background. They don't teach this stuff. Like my MBA was, 
it looks good on my on my LinkedIn, but that's that's pretty much all. <laughs> there's nothing there that's useful, right? I think like a lot of education, you have to do it um, to say you have the degree, and then it's it's pretty much worthless after that for a lot of degrees. Man, that's such great info. I could literally, I might have to do like a five part with you at some point. You just keep going through this stuff. Man. Listen, it's Nick, and likewise, I, I want you on my podcast too, because I want to pick your brains and I want to prove to you that you're a lot more interesting than you say. <laughs> <laughs> but no. I love the humility, my brother. The bars said hi, man. I know. Um, so I know you got a, a main strategy of like building a lot of new construction, multifamily and stuff like that. So I, one more question on that. And then I, I, I definitely want to hear a little bit about Antarctica before I let you go, because I find that completely fascinating. But, you know, one of the things you do that I am not really experienced in is new construction. And I think it's because I've always been worried about starting a project and having it go a year. And then what happens in the market? Because I've gotten trapped in that before. And in my experience, I don't know, like if you're dealing with Cook County or you're dealing with the city, but I have had a really tough experience on some of my flips dealing with the city of Chicago. So I was like, all right, I'm not going to do new bills there. But like you said, I'm I'm very probably a blue belt at that, whereas you know exactly probably who to talk to, where to go. So talk to me about the pros and cons of new construction. So um, I used to, when I first moved here, oh, sorry, when I first got into real estate and I was looking for myself. I always compared a new construction building with a full rehab. So when I say a full rehab, if it's a brick building, you're keeping the brick exterior, but everything else is new. The roof, the windows, the plumbing, the mechanicals, everything, the electrics, everything is new. And I would compare the two and I would say, well, the big difference for me is that the, the city of Chicago taxes new construction higher. So on a cash flow basis, I'd rather have a rehab than a new construction. I never really appreciated the new construction model until a bit more recently. And then I started um, investing and working with a lot of developers. And I saw that it with in, t- in terms of what you're saying, the, the, the permits to get new construction, the beauty of what you can do is if you can get a lot um, pretty cheaply and then you work on all the permits, when you start, like right now, my builders, when they break ground and they have the permits, they can get something finished in four months. It's incredible. Like the actual build is so quick. Whereas on a rehab, sometimes you're, you're buy, the original building you're buying is more expensive than just buying a lot. And those permits for the rehab can be just as long. So when I, when I first started getting into this 2015, uh, 16, was when I first started working with these developers, um, the city of Chicago, what, a lot of these areas, they weren't very strict. So what these guys would do is they'd get a few of the permits, but they would just do a lot of work without permits. And it was still up to code and everything. So it wasn't like they had any problems selling it, but they just got around those delays. But now the city of Chicago has cracked down so much um, that I've actually found that new construction is the process can be quicker. And there's two big advantages that I never knew before. When you, when you have new construction, you, are, you have zero wasted space. You are maximizing every square foot in the units. Whereas it does, even a full rehab, you're still kind of working with the existing layout. So I think the, the, you're much more efficient with your square footage for new construction. And there's something else that I didn't realize in terms of as an investor, the one thing that on a, on a pro forma, when you look at your numbers, the one thing that kills you is vacancy. If you have um, a three unit building with, with three units, each paying say 2000 rent, and you have one of them vacant for three months, that's six grand. That's going to really eat into your monthly, uh, sorry, your, your numbers at the end of the year. And I noticed that it doesn't matter how nice a rehab is. When someone walks into a new construction, there's something that goes off in their brain and they like it more. So the turnover between tenants for new construction, even if the new construction's you know, had a few tenants, 
it's incredible how little vacancy there is in new construction and how much people love them. So they're too, that's something that I never really appreciate now, but now I would rather have something that on paper looked like it was a worse return on new, with higher taxes. But I think over time, you're actually gonna do much better. Um, and the other thing, what you said though is fascinating because I work with a lot of these developers and I see their numbers. And with this recent inflation, um, I'm selling this building in a couple of weeks. He's just, we, we, he, he got it under contract right after he broke ground because he's got a good reputation and someone wanted to buy it. So we, we signed everything, we agreed on the price. And now here he is just finishing up. And he called me, great guy, he called me and said, hey, you think the seller can add 20 grand to the sales price? And I said, well, you know, we have a contract. I don't think so. He's like, he's like, yeah, I know. He's like, I figured as a gentleman, he would, he would be, because he's a rich guy, the buyer. He's like, I figured as a gentleman, he'd want me to make a bit of money because I've been crushed on the, on the rising material costs. He's like, if, if I don't have a price adjustment, I'm going to make nothing. And I said, well, listen, we'll ask him. We'll see what he says. I'm still waiting to hear back. I said, listen, on this one, I, going back to relationships, I was like, I'll sell it for free. I won't take any commission because I want you to make some money. He's such a great guy. I've helped him out a lot. We have a good relationship. He said, you know what? I don't want to take your commission. I'm happy to sell this one for, for break even if I have to. And we'll just raise the price 30 grand on the next one or 50 grand, whatever it is. So that's something that developers are, I feel terrible for them in this environment where literally they're going every week, they're seeing prices go up in materials, but they're signing these contracts. And they're, they, you know, if they, if they do all their numbers four months ago, it's, um, there's that famous, I keep hearing this saying, uh, yesterday's price is not today's price. I think oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, who said that, Nick? I don't know. But I, uh, I, think, I, it was, it was, I think it might have been a pro wrestler or somebody. So maybe, maybe a rapper, I'm not sure. But or maybe it was Jay-Z. But it's so true. It's like, I get these people, they send me a building and they're like, hey, but this guy bought it in 2020 for this much. And I was like, yeah, 2020. Where, where was the S&P in 2020? Where was Bitcoin? Like, it, yesterday's price is not today's price, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so true. So I think... Um, so it's a really tough environment for builders. And I've, I've, I do both the, um, the brokerage side of it, but I've also invested with many, I've worked with many different builders. Some I've done very well. Some I've, I've got ripped off from, you know, it's been a, a wild learning experience. On that, I'll just say the best advice I ever heard on partnerships is don't ever get into a business partnership with somebody that you wouldn't want to spend time with. So you and I have had a wonderful conversation with Kindred Spirits I'd hang out with you any day of the week. If you came to me with a business venture, you're someone who I'd want to talk to about life. So I'd be happy to work with. But if there's someone that comes to you with a very good idea, but you don't really, he's not the kind of guy you'd want to have dinner with and talk to, I, I would avoid the idea. I'd avoid the business venture. And I, I heard that advice and I think it's so true. And if I look back on all the different builders that I've invested with, that I've worked with, I think that advice really rings true. So I think that's really great advice. Dude, I'm so happy you said that. I, I, I literally feel like I've been talking into like a mirror for the last like two hours, man, because it's all the same stuff that I, like I tell people, you know, it's it's a relationship and people think because it's a business relationship, it's different than a personal relationship, but you wouldn't go spend all this time and get into all these different things with somebody that you didn't get along with or you couldn't stand. Yeah. So if you think you're going to have a different result when you're doing business with somebody every day that you don't communicate with, you don't trust, you guys don't speak the same language and like many different levels, it's not going to have a great ending. Mm. And Nick, that's so true. And ultimately, why do you and I want to make money? Well, obviously we need a certain amount of money just to live, go through this world. But at the same time, we think that money is going to give us whatever we want that's going to make us happy, whether it's freedom, whether it's a new house, all these different things. And ultimately, I don't want to be around someone with bad energy just to make money. That equation doesn't work for me because too many people. I had um, actually got in a big argument with one of my one of my investors um, yesterday. We were actually 
yelling at each other on the phone. <laughs> I was embarrassed that I don't have more self-control, but I'm a passionate guy. But he's he's almost like a brother. We've worked together for many years. He's a very successful surgeon and he's very, very smart in surgery, but he doesn't know what he doesn't know. He doesn't know a lot about real estate. And he was arguing me on something. And I said, listen, I'm on the same team as you. You've got to stop this. And I remember I hung up and I told my wife, I said, I've made a lot of money working with this guy, but I don't know how much longer I'm going to work with him because I, I just don't like that kind of energy. And I think it's so important. Money will come if you're happy and you're, you're following your passions because you're going to get the knowledge and it'll come. It might come in a month. It might come in a year. It might come in five years, 10 years. It might, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I don't want to go through life being around people whose energy, we all know it. The easiest, I've heard people talk about energy for a long time and I was always like, ah, it's all woo woo bullshit, but you know exactly what it would be. Your phone is on the table and someone calls, you look at the name. You either get this, oh, it's Nick. I want to come with talk to Nick. Or you get this client, or whatever, John Smith client. And you're just like, oh, I don't want to talk to this guy. And that's what I mean by energy. It's those people you want to be around with that, that have that good energy. You want to just, you want to spend your time on this earth because what is, money is great, but the most valuable commodity is our time. That's the one thing. We can always make more money. We can never buy back our time. So I think that's something that, to, going again, We I, I love the fact that we keep, we keep coming back to these themes, going back to the 90 year old version of us on our, coming close to the end of our life. I don't want to think, man, I made all this money working with people who I didn't like to be around because you can, you can have it all. You can find people that are kindred spirits that want the same as you. Cause a lot of the people that you and I work with, I'm sure are very similar to us. They have that same mindset and they do have good energy and you do want to socialize with them. And that's what, what I love is when when work and pleasure can be the same thing. Like I said tonight, I've got this dinner with one of my one of my investors. He's become he's one of my biggest clients, but he's become a good friend. He's incredibly successful. He's a developer. He's also from Europe. And for the first time, I've met his wife very briefly, but I've never actually been to dinner. We've been talking about it for ages. And finally, you know, we both got the time and we're having dinner. And that's so nice when business, when the lines of business and, and pleasure can can be blurry. I think that's success. I love that, man. And uh, experience is being a huge thing. Uh, I'll wrap up with you had a goal. I think it was quote me or quote you. I don't want to mess it up, but the first Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt to win a marathon on seven different continents. Is that the marathon? Yeah, but for Nick, yeah, I got so it's a funny story. So I had this goal. I, I never, I, I just, I love to travel and do cool things. So back when I was, when I was fighting, I did a, I did my first marathon. I think it was in Thailand. So I was doing some training in Thailand, I did it in Thailand. My second one I did in Zurich in Europe. And then third one was in, I was training in Utah, actually a gym in Utah. And then I drove to Dallas. I did the Dallas marathon. And then I was like, man, I've done three marathons on three continents. This is pretty cool. And then the fourth one, I did um, a 35 mile ultra marathon in, in South Africa on, it was on my 35th birthday. It was like the perfect coincidence. I was like, I always wanted to do this famous race. And then I was like, I'll do it maybe, you know, down the road. And then I saw it. I was like, it's on this day. I think I was single at the time. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to booking a ticket by myself. I went to South Africa for two weeks. So finally, I'm like telling my wife, I'm like, baby, um, I've done six of the seven continents. I might be the first jiu-jitsu black belt to have done this. It's kind of cool. I was like, we got we got to find a, a, a trip to Antarctica. You know, how do you feel about that? She said, that sounds amazing. As long as we, you know, we'll find a babysitter who we trust to look after my son. So we went in January. So I was all excited. We, we uh, This had been planned for a, for a, a year. So I had a bit of anxiety because business was crazy. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be off the grid for a week. I mean, there's no service. You know, <laughs> I was actually really looking forward to that, just completely being off the grid. But I was setting everything up with all my different 
clients that were halfway through buying a building. I was like, okay, I'm going to be going for these dates, talk to these people. Here's my partner covering me. I got all this elaborate stuff set up. And then I go, I go to the airport and it was a private group. There was 12 of us going. So we're waiting and nothing's happening for like an hour. We're just sitting there like, what's going on? And then the organizer, a guy from England comes in and he's like, guys, he's got a very nice English accent. He's like, gentlemen, I'm so sorry. I've got this terrible news. There's a COVID outbreak in Antarctica. We've got to cancel the trip. And I was the, I was joking with the, with the, with the guys there. I was like, guys, just so you know, it wasn't a cheap trip. And I was like, I'm by far the poorest person here. I just spend money on experiences. A lot of these guys were like crazy wealthy CEOs and like just insane money. And, and my wife kept saying like, baby, stop saying you're the poorest person. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm just trying to explain to these people that I'm not quite on their level, you know? But so a lot of these guys were like, no, like we came all the way to South Africa. Like we're, we're ready to do this. We've all, you know, half of them had COVID. They were like, we've got, we've been vaccinated. We got to go. Like, this is ridiculous. So like they're arguing back and forth. And then finally the guy's like, listen, I could lose my license to bring people to, I mean, he's one of the first people to do trips to Antarctica. So a lot of people, when they go to Antarctica, they say technically I ran a marathon in Antarctica, but they weren't on the main island. They were on one of the little islands around the edges, which is still technically Antarctica, but it looks like a brown muddy mess. I wanted to run it on the snow, like on the actual, on the continent. So he's like, listen, I'm going to lose my license if I do this. But what I can do is I can take you there and because I have to fly this plane out to drop supplies off. So he's like, as long as you don't see anybody, I'll take you there for four hours. You can do a hike and you can see Antarctica and then you come back next year. So I didn't get to run. Unfortunately, I got to come back and I'm, I'm going to be there for the new year. So at the end of this year, I got to go back, which sucks because I, I trained for that all these long ass runs in the Chicago winter, which wasn't <laughs> fun. But it was pretty cool, Nick, because I, I, was, I was a bit disappointed because I've been training. So I got very high on the plane. So I was, I was in Antarctica for four hours. I was tripping balls, like <laughs> off my mind. I had the most amazing experience. And I think I might be the only person who's been at Antarctica who's only ever been really, really high. So we, we did this crazy, we did it. We did a hike for a few hours and then I came down. So it was an, it was an incredible experience. And it was, it's so talking about technology and the life we live. It is the opposite to what we have here. It is so quiet. There's no one there. It's so, not one, there's no animals. It's just, it feels like you're in a different planet. So that was really, really special. And the, 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 the weather in Chicago gets, for, as you know, in the winter, it can get very cold. It was a whole nother level. Like I had, I had two jackets on. I, I kept trying to take photos. I'd take my phone out and boom, the phone would die because it was too cold for the, for the iPhones. So it was, it was a really cool experience. And the one thing that I got from it is, that run is going to be way harder than I thought because of the cold. So I got to train way harder next year. So I'm not looking forward to this winter, Nick. I'm going to be out there miserable. But uh, but yeah, so the, the goal is still there. And like we said, it, it's still kind of nice because I love I love the striving. And when whether I achieve a goal or I don't achieve it, the the feeling after tends to always be a bit anticlimactic. So I'm really happy that I've, I've got some jujitsu goals this year and I've, and I've got that goal at the end of the year. So I've got some nice athletic things to strive for. Um, which which is good. So unfortunately, they, I, I'm still not. I'm, I'm uh, I haven't done it yet. But uh, I had so many people that were like, "Oh, how was it?" And I've had to explain. Well, actually, I didn't do it because of freaking COVID. You know, the last two years, COVID's been screwing up all our plans. But it looks like finally, as long as World War Three doesn't break out, it looks like the COVID thing is finally you know behind us. So now we can actually plan because it's been it's been so hard to make any plans. You know. Yeah. 
That's amazing, man. Dude, this has been absolutely awesome. It did not disappoint. I could literally keep this going all day, but I know you have other things to go back to. So talk about how do people find you, uh, the podcast, work with you in real estate, the brokerage side, like talk all the ways people can connect with you. Thanks so much, Nick. So the easiest thing, um, LinkedIn, and it's just my name, Lawrence Dunning, um, is the easiest way for real estate. I try and keep that very focused on real estate. And then um, Enter the Lionheart is my podcast. It's on it's on iTunes and Spotify. And um, I, I got to have you on and I'm going to be bugging you for some of, some of your buddies because you, you, your friends and, and training partners, a lot of guys I look up to a lot. Um, and uh, I'd, lo- I'd, love your, I'd love you to be my... Um, my podcast mental, you know, Nick, because um, you, you've been doing this longer. You're you're a bit of an OG, so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be bugging you. And I think that's something I want your listeners to really take from this. Is it? I used to think I use therapy as an example because that's what my wife is is doing. I used to think that a guy that would see a therapist is like a failure and a loser and everything. But it's like if I look back at my life in all these different aspects, I have coaches. So I have the guy I'm having dinner tonight. I consider him my entrepreneurial mentor because he's so entrepreneurial. He came from Eastern Europe with nothing. His dad was a janitor and he's become a multimillionaire through real estate and just through hard work. And he's such a sharp guy. So he is my entrepreneurial mentor. You are going to be one of my podcast mentors, Nick. You know, I've got my my jiu-jitsu coach. He's my jiu-jitsu mentor. And my strength and conditioning coach, he's my strength and conditioning mentor. And I have, you know, my yoga teacher. She's getting me better at yoga. So I have all these different aspects of my life where I'm seeking mentorship. And and hopefully with with the podcast, some of the people that I look up to that I want to learn from, I'm going to pick their brains, and then hopefully that's going to help other people. So it's this very symbiotic relationship. And uh, so thanks, honestly, thank you so much for having me on. And I'm so glad we did this. And here's to many more, Nick. And hopefully we're going to share the mats one of these days too. That'll be a lot of fun. 100%, 100%, man. Dude, you have my seal of approval. I am happy to put my stamp on anybody that I know that I can link you up with. I'm sure they will not be disappointed at all, man. You're you're a good dude. This was super interesting. You would get along very well with Matt, Sarah, and with Raging Al, and I'm sure you'll connect with them on some level. I'm happy to put that together, man. And uh, definitely, I'll, I'll take a trip down to the city, man. Happy to get some chokes in there, get some drinks, figure it out, and Maybe have a couple of edibles and talk some real estate, man. Anytime you want. And anything That's, you need on the podcast side, man, hit me. I, I will definitely carve out as much time as you need to help you with anything I can. Brother, I appreciate that so much. Thanks so much for doing this, Nick. That was a, Dude, this was a real pleasure. You've been awesome, man. Any final thoughts before I let you go? Um, yes. Be curious. Um, that's something I just think any, anytime you find yourself just, I, I'll use the crypto example because it's something that I noticed that I did such a 180 on anytime that you just dismiss something out of hand without knowing about it, just be a bit curious. And even, even this, um, this thing going on in Russia and Ukraine, my sister-in-law is half Ukrainian, half Russian, and she has a very different perspective on the, what the Western media is saying. And it's just, it's, it's something that's just so interesting. If you stay curious, I think life is just much better. So anytime you think you know it all, you probably don't, unless, you know, Gordon Ryan probably knows everything about jiu-jitsu, but he doesn't because he's still learning. But there's certain people where they almost do know everything, but most of us, we're a work in progress. I think if you stay curious, your life is going to be infinitely better. Wise words among many wise words. Definitely check out his podcast. Definitely look him up in the show notes for this podcast. You serving your A-game. Thank you very much. It's Lawrence Dunning. Thank you, brother.